The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin, and my guest today is Dave Pelzer. Dave's first book, A Child Called It?, was on the New York Times bestseller list for more than six years. It's an exploration of how his mother abused him as a child, which was pretty severe, and how he was rescued by teachers. In his newest book, Too Close to Me, he discusses not only the long-term consequences of childhood trauma, but the possibilities for resilience. Dave has dedicated his life to helping others with, who are dealing with all kinds of trauma. Four presidents have given him presidential accommodations for his work. He has also won the National Jefferson Award, which is pretty much the Pulitzer Prize for public service. Welcome to the show, Dave. It is great to have you here. Um, let's begin near the beginning Uh Tell us a little bit about what your childhood was like. Well, just as you said, um, uh, unfortunately for me, I was uh, horribly abused from about the age of four to about 12 when I was uh, finally rescued and placed in foster care. And it was uh, a situation where it was considered one of the most severe cases of child abuse in then California's history. And I think part of it was, you know, a lot of people knew it was happening but there was nothing they could have done. There weren't any penal codes to protect kids or those trying to protect uh, children at the time. And it was just a slow roll in which uh, I thought in the beginning, you know, I was a horrible child. I was brainwashed that I deserved this uh, treatment and deserved to be punished to the point that my name was not used in the house. I was a family slave or I was stabbed or starved for 10 days or forced to swallow ammonia or Clorox or even locked in a bathroom with ammonia and Clorox, which can kill you. And to me, it's never been about a story about abuse, but to me, it was always a story about resilience, that we all have situations, we all have problems, and when push comes to shove, what are you going to do about it? And uh, I was very, very, very fortunate to be rescued when I was uh, rescued, and I was very fortunate to, uh, you know, have a little bit of luck and common sense just to try to muster through. Mm-hmm. Those are some pretty extreme kinds of abuse, and well, I think you're, you know, you're, but then we, we live in a world which, you know, I'm, 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 you know, old man, no country. I'm in my 50s now, and our world has changed so severely. We never talked about cancer. We never talked about uh, sex changes. We never talked about finances or, or, or church or, or these things. And, and, and yet, you know, because we, we live in a different world, we have to kind of adopt to 
you know, uh, how things are in, in this day. And, and that was one of the things, you know, I was able to do is to slowly evolve from uh, one extreme to, to the other. It was very severe at the time, but, you know, maybe, you know, psychologically when we go through something, we come out of it uh, a different person. Hopefully we come out of it more grateful for what we have today. I mean, I, I had a radio show actually with Voice America, and one time I boasted to my audience in a snarky way. I said, welcome to the Great Recession. I'm loving it because... Divorces are down. We're not needlessly spending money on 20 Blu-ray DVDs every week. We're more kind and appreciative of the world that we live in to this day. Well, that's a positive spin on the recession for sure. <laughs> I like your sense of humor, too. So I, I have not read your first book. I read your most recent one. Um, I would like to hear a little bit about how it happened that somebody finally said, this is something where we can say too much. We need to get this kid out of that situation. Well, they, did- they all knew the situation before I went into, uh, or as I went into kindergarten. I was a child that I was not allowed to speak, so I didn't have phonics. I didn't stand upright. I started to smell. I was socially inept. But again, they didn't have you know, laws and protection. And, and, and the situation got to the point when I was in the fifth grade, uh, the first Friday of March. I, I didn't really know this until 20 years after the fact when I was interviewing teachers for this, this book I was working on. And my teacher confessed to me that I showed up to school with uh, no skin on my arms <gasps> because it was chemically burned off from being uh, doused in a mixture of ammonia and Clorox. And, and I had somehow displaced it. I had forgotten it. And one of my teachers basically barged into the principal's office and said, you know, well, golly, this is a gun to put it to your head. We've got to call the police because if we don't do something today on Friday, this boy's going to be dead on Monday. The other side of the story was the principal's going, well, this woman's calling me four times a day. She's going to sue us. She's going to put us in jail. It's going to be this, going to be that. So we had this push-pull that everybody in the neighborhood solely knew what was going on. My father, who was a past observer, knew what was going on. Uh, my grandmother on my mother's side uh, knew what was going on. And it was just one of those scary things. And I have to say this to you, Doc. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been to Katrina. I've been to Joplin. I've been overseas uh, with the armed forces and, you know, Iraq and so forth. And I've seen a lot of things. Even as a volunteer firefighter, I've seen death up, very, up close. And I just can't believe that I'm here today and with 10 fingers and 10 toes. And, and, and a lot of people, as you know, they're traumatized by a divorce or traumatized by something that happened to them 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and they just can't seem to get over it. And the fact that, you know, I do have a good life, I do have a good sense of humor, I am trying to be of service. You know, there's a lot of luck in life. And, and if I can give your audience something, you know, you have to be open to luck and you have to work that luck. And I was a very lucky young man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really strong part of your message that, um, you know, whatever horrible things have happened in your life, if you have an opportunity to make a choice to do something constructive about it, to deal with the trauma and heal from it, then that's a good place to put your energy. I I think so, because, I mean, I I do some counseling, you know, I do some public speaking and so forth, and you know, I met a guy called Jeb. He was abused 55 years ago for 10 minutes by his dad. He got yelled at by his dad, and he just can't seem to get over it. And I'm looking, my God, you've wasted half a century. Or wow. I, I consult people who I have a lady friend of mine. She's been divorced for now. You're, we're going to have an Oprah moment. Now, don't cry, ladies and gentlemen, but this lady was divorced 35 years ago, and she's still mad at her ex. 
and she can't get a date. And I'm going, really? You, you go through a divorce, you separate, and you get your life better. I, you know what's really weird is I've, I have never met, out of the millions of people I've been blessed to meet, I've never met anybody who complained that they had cancer. They never complained that they were a victim of cancer. They always say, I'm going to fight it. I'm going to survive it. So it has to do with uh, the outlook of what you're doing. You know, a lot of people, they think they can get up in the morning and just conquer Mount Everest. This is no, no, no. It's one step at a time. With Mount Everest, people don't, I don't know if they know this, but it's 29,000 feet. You're hypoxic at 10,000 feet, which means oxygen is not going to the brain as it should. The last 1,000 feet is the, it's called base, or it's called Camp 4. It's 1,000 feet to the summit, and it takes them 14 hours one way to get there and 16 hours back down. So I'm trying to say you take little steps every day to make it work for you and you just make it part of your being. For me, mm-hmm. it was simple. If my mom doesn't feed me, I steal food. If she catches me, I steal another uh, way. I find another way to steal food. If I get beaten or bludgeoned, I would tighten up different parts of my body. You know, if this doesn't work, you just keep on trying to try to try to try. And I think for me, that was the well that I was able to dip into. When I was being abused, when I was struggling through foster care, when I was in the armed forces, and, you know, any part of my life, you just go back to that well of survivalship. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding is that uh, when a child has been severely abused, not just yelled at for 10 minutes, but severely abused, there can be really long-lasting difficulties with um, a lack of a sense of self-worth, a lack of an ability to trust people, a lack of confidence, difficulty in relationships. I wonder, um, how have you worked through, did you have those difficulties and how did you work well, through you know, those issues? Weird is, I'm going to kind of answer it in a little bit different way. Sure. We lived, and hopefully we don't anymore, but we lived in part of our society that we had those master motivational speakers that will convey a certain message without saying a thing, and they're the end-all, be-all, perfect persons of the world. And I'm going, you guys are so full of crap. To me, they say, oh, my gosh, Dave, you have these awards or you have this adventurous life and you've done this and then that. You must be so perfect. I'm going, I'm the most, I'm the, I'm, I'm the smartest idiot you'll ever meet. <laughs> and I am still a work in progress. We all are a work in progress and we all have some issues. You might be great on the job, but terrible in relationships, vice versa, I don't know. But to answer your question a little bit more fully, do I have issues with uh, trust and intimacy? Of course I do. I mean, you know, I was violated as a child. I didn't have those bonding, trusting years with my maternal mother, for goodness sakes. And then foster care wasn't easy, and then the military can be kind of tough, too. For the confidence part, I think for me, I knew as a child, if I could survive all that I did without a lot of help, without training, without uh, going to college, without all this motivational business, I knew if I can survive that, then I can at least try. I didn't speak for about 13, 14 years. Part of it was my mother did not allow me to speak, and if you swallow ammonia more than once, and I swallowed it twice, you're not supposed to speak forever. So at age 14 in foster care, I had to learn my ABCs. I had to try. I had no coordination. My, the tips of my fingers were, were I, I mean, I couldn't feel them because they were numb from all the chemicals I used. I, I, I mean, and yet, years later, I was allowed to fly for the United States Air Force. 
So you kind of give yourself, just like I said, Mount Everest. You just give yourself a little bit of confidence inch by inch, day by day, in a sense. But all of us have issues. There's no perfect human being out there. And if they think there are, either something's going to happen to you or God's going to smile at you the wrong way, and sooner or later we're all going to learn. That's I didn't realize that uh, the, the, that ammonia had that physical consequence. I mean, it sounded yeah. pretty horrible being forced to drink ammonia, but I, I didn't know what its effects would be. Yeah, it burns the esophagus and the trachea, and it can lead wow. to other things, which, you know, we don't want to really get into. Okay. Well, I'm glad your uh, esophagus and your trachea recovered. Um, yeah, all of us are, I think. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, wow, that's that's an enormous amount to overcome. Well, again, we all, you know, to kind of carry this, we, we, we all have something, you know. I mean, I've seen people traumatized over a divorce or, or, or if their dog died or their uncle died. And I'm going, okay, let's just go through the process. Let's, you know, we're going to be in denial and then we're going to be angered and then we're going to bargain with God or bargain with the person. Don't leave us. Let me have the job. And then we're going to fall into that depression. But at the end of the day, we have to come to that bridge of acceptance. That we, I mean, it's like the recession. People thought, oh, my God, we're going to throw money at this or uh, we're going to deny this or deny that and everything's going to be the same. And we're going, no, never is the relationship is never going to be the same. When you're in love, it's always going to change. The, 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 the economy is going to change. If we come back from war, we have changed in a sense. So we kind of have to just, it's not going to be what we want, but if, as soon as we can come through the purging process of going through all the minutiae, because some people, as you know, they, they, they just don't want to step out of that womb because that womb can be safe and it's hard out there in the world and Mount Everest is so tall and golly, it's going to be greasy and slimy. But you've got to just kind of rebirth yourself, go through the process, whether it be therapy, whether you go to professional therapy, where you just study as much as you can or work on yourself as best you can. But at the end of the day, hopefully you evolve to a different person and at the same time you evolve to be happy. It kills me. When I see people, again, they go through a divorce and they're so miserable. They mm-hmm. go through trauma, or God forbid if they were violated as a kid, and they're so miserable, for goodness sakes. Every time I uh, see my troops, I'm a chief with the Air Force, and I visit the troops coming home, or I go to Bethesda, and some of these men and women are injured beyond compare, I've never had one complain to me. They always tell me a story of what they learned from the experience and how grateful they are to be alive. I'm going, oh my goodness, that's the message. That's a, that's a pretty powerful message. <laughs> well, I think part of it, too, is, is I remember before, you know, September 11th, the generation uh, next had it easy and instantaneous, and they did not know the Internet. They did not know iPhones. They did not know PlayStations, and everything came to them so easy. And then because of the war and their involvement with the war, it's like, my gosh, they learn a different lesson about sacrifice of their fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and aunties. And they learn by going overseas to a different country and a different culture when they come back, wow, wow, that life experience. And, and hopefully it alters them in a positive state. And that's all. I mean, I keep saying it over and over, but, you know, I think I'm the luckiest person alive. You know, I'm not dead. I'm not in jail. I've got ten fingers and ten toes. I got a pretty good heart, and you know, sometimes I'm smarter than I appear to be. And, and <laughs> you know, every day is a blessing. It's, it's like people who, you know, they, they they fight from cancer, and they say, you know what, I was supposed to be dead six years ago, and I'm still alive. I'm still working through it. But today's a great day, 
And you kind of have to take it in small pieces, one day at a time, one, you know, step at a time. Yeah. And I very much like what you're saying, that it it helps enormously if you can focus yourself in the direction of healing and in the direction of being happy. Yeah. I, I, I work with a lot of people in the process of divorce, and the ones who are hanging on to their anger and hanging on to their pain are the ones yeah. who really have the most difficulty. And, and, it's, and, and I swear to you, uh, I have a local radio show, and, and I'm doing a two-part thing about how people... I call it breaking bad when people control too much or disconnect too much and they want to keep that rage and they want to keep that anger. And psychologically, I know it's a form of control. I know it's a form of defense. But at the same time, too, that's a shield. So, yeah, you might be protecting yourself, but you're not allowing things in, whether it be the joy of planting flowers or having a cup of coffee or the joy of a new love or a new lover in your life, for goodness sakes. And I keep seeing that word over and over, audience, joy, joy, joy. Have joy in your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, every little thing for me is great. Sometimes I'll get up at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, have a cigar and have a, a cup of coffee. I'll come home as a firefighter and I got all this stuff on me that I got to wash off. And that's what I do. I physically and psychologically wash it off, get changed into a new, you know, PJs or pants and shirt, whatever, and start my day, my day anew. And I, and I think sometimes people forget that it's okay to open up, it's okay to be human, and there should not be any shame of talking about something that, that still you harbor in your past. Because, again, if we can purge, if we can psychologically purge, we're going to be better. Um, I tell the uh, joke sometimes that people, they, they physically purge if they have a tummy ache. Now, some people purge just a little bit here and a little bit there because it's dirty and it's nasty, but that bile still grows in your stomach. But once you vomit out... All this bile, nine times out of ten, you're hungry in 20 minutes. So psychologically, if we can go through the room and purge, 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 we understand, okay, that was 10 years ago. That was 20 years ago. I was five. That person was wrong. Because psychologically, and this is very deep, I think Mm -hmm. we have a tendency to continue to look at the problems for what we believe they are rather than what they were. So we call Mm -hmm. that perspective. And that's so important in life. Do you have a a perspective that makes it possible for you to understand in any way what was going on with your mom? Why would she treat a a child like this? You know, a a little bit. Because one of the things about, you know, my family at the time was we never talked. We never talked, oh, so-and-so died, so-and-so had cancer, so-and-so had an affair, so-and-so divorced. But I've done... A lot of research on, on my mother and, you know, from what I can gather, and this makes perfect sense, she was horribly abused and overly controlled by her mother. Now, as a woman in Salt Lake City, Utah, being raised in the 1930s, and that should scare everybody, it was men, dogs, and 20,000 feet below that, there was women. My mom was raised that, keep your mouth shut, Missy, it didn't happen Marry Mr. Man, pop out a few kids, everything will work out. And the mantra of the day was, whatever you do, don't open up Pandora's box. So we have a woman who has uh, three kids in less than four years, who my parents used to be, uh, you know, days of wine and roses, which means they used to, you know, party a little bit and have uh, one or two many drinks, cocktails, and what have you. Now the party's over. We don't know if she had postmortem depression. Uh, uh, she didn't work, uh, she had three kids to raise. I mean, all these little, 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 little pieces of cancer, when they get together, boom. 
So, uh, you know, it was partly that. And I believe, too, it was the small things. It became discipline. It became target child selection, which the perpetrator will select one kid at random. And then more and more and more feeds into this. And it became a horribly vicious cycle. And I have to say this, too, and this is so important. Uh, I mean, again, the older I get, uh, the more I realize how precious life is. But I don't excuse my mom for her behavior, but I do forgive my mom for her behavior. And that's so, so important. Because otherwise, as you just said, Doc, there's going to be a lot of rage. There's going to be a lot of revenge. And then nine times out of ten, I will copy that behavior. It's almost like if someone punches me once. After all these years, I'm going to punch back a thousand times full just to get even. And some people, they forget why they're so upset. And we see it internationally with world terrorism, for goodness sakes. So we, we, we try to peel back some of the layers of what happened in my mom's past. Okay. We're going to have to go. We're going to go to break now. And uh, we will be back. I'll be back talking with Dave Pelzer about resilience and healing from some fairly horrendous abuse and other kinds of trauma after the break. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, Visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radioshow at Group.com. Now, back to Family Matters. 
I'm Virginia Collin, and on Family Matters today, I'm talking with Dave Pelzer, who is living proof that we do not have to repeat the injustices that have been done to us. A widespread belief is that children who are abused often grow up to be abusive. But Dave didn't do that. In fact, he has a very good relationship with his son. Tell us about that, Dave. Well, I, I think you kind of said it all. I'm looking at a photo of Stephen, uh, and he's a he's a young man now. He's married. He's in law enforcement, and his wife is uh, a dispatcher. So as a firefighter, we all have a lot to talk about. But I'm looking at a photo of Mr. Pelzer. And uh, many years ago, uh, my, my father, I uh, was in foster care, would try to take me to, like, the local San Francisco Giants games, and he'd either pass out or didn't want really too much to do with me. And Stephen and I bonded you know, through, uh, you know, as father and sons do, you play together and play catch and learn the sport. And I'm looking at a photo of Stephen and his wife and I at the World Series last year. And it's just one of those things where it's a simple game, you know, you can't really afford it, and it takes a lot of time and effort to coordinate all the people trying to do all that. But it's 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 that nice memory. And I think for me, Stephen was just, the, the, I've had a lot of blessed events in my life, but he's the blessing of my life. The fact that you know I'm a father and we're we're very close and and to see him grow from a small child into a productive young man and I think I mean that's the wish of any parent you know and and like when you're a teenager you have that little separation anxiety and all the things that happens to teens and it's kind of nice now he's in his uh, late twenties that uh, you know he's he's really come into his own I'm just proud as heck of as him and I'm just lucky to be his father I mean I've when he was a young boy, I would teach him little things like how to throw a ball, catch a ball. And what he didn't know was at the time I was learning how to throw and how to catch myself. So oh, it's, good it's, job. You know, it's that generational thing. <laughs> I see. So you, you managed to have a good relationship with your son. I think my understanding from the book is that it was never an area of difficulty. It was... It was no, always it was, uh, like easy parent, to enjoy I, him. I think you, when, when, when you first discover that you're going to have a baby, there's all this fear and all this anxiety. Now, times that by 10 billion trillion, because of my past and lack of skills and lack of uh, you know, social ineptness in a sense, but the moment holding him, it was just that purity of love and watching you know, this life form grow and the purity of, of, of the excitement of babies and all the things that you do in the course of, 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 you know, being a parent to a child. I was, I was very fortunate there, you know, and, but part of that too, you know, cause a lot of people think, Oh, Dave, you, uh, you found yourself in your thirties or forties, or once you wrote your little book, you purged. I'm going, well, you can't really fly through the United States Air Force if you've got all these anger issues or if you're really kind of messed up in a sense. But, you know, I was always working on myself when I was being abused and I worked on myself a little bit when I was in foster care and, you know, been reading books in psychology since I can, gosh, I, I mean, I remember Dr. Wayne Dwyer uh, back in 1973-74, I was reading that in a sense, or Norman Vincent Peale. And I think for me, when it comes to psychology, uh, I've always applied the note that common sense makes sense, and you just do what you have to do for now to better yourself. Okay. So being a good parent kind of came naturally to you despite your past. How about well, being a husband? Well, I don't hu- want to say husband. I was a good parent. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean I, I, I'm kind of joking there a little bit, but you know, the one thing I want to express, because I've talked to a lot of people who have been abused, and they don't 
want to get pregnant or they don't want to be around anybody. And I'm going, well, you know, if it happens, look at it as a blessing. Look what you can draw from that. Or at the same time, too, you know, maybe something bad happened to you and now you've got a chance to make up for it, you know, and, 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 and you know, just have a better life. Yeah, certainly people can learn. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm wondering. I I think you were in the Air Force. You did some traveling to help other people who were coping with traumatic things in their past. So I'm not sure how much you were home with your wife and your son. Well, um, when you're in the armed forces, you, you come, especially when you fly, it's it's. I would be uh, what they call TDY out overseas. Sometimes four, six, nine months out of the year, or if we have a a situation like our good friend Saddam Hussein, you know, you go where you go. So. I was gone quite a bit, and then I slowly got involved in uh, child abuse as a counselor in juvenile hall and then doing programs for foster kids and foster care, and one thing led to another. So, you know, I wasn't per se the best husband in a sense because I was traveling quite a bit, and particularly at that time, you know, when you have a small baby that you're just in love with, the joy of your life, and then you see other atrocities happen around you, sure, I could have just turned my back and said, you know what, I'm going to play catch with my boy. And uh, it's a catch-22 because, you know, you should be dedicated to your marriage and your kids. But I'm kind of a weird monkey. If there's uh, help that, that is needed, if I can help, I'm going to at least try to assist. You know, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it became a, a whirlwind. A few years ago, I was on the road 336 days, 16.8 hours every single day. Because of the success of the books, or Dave, can you do this wow. fundraiser? Or Dave, can you talk to my foster kids? Or Dave, can you do something for social services? Chief Pelzer, can you visit a military base? Dave, can you do comedy? So it's almost like I was running for U.S. Senate and doing wow. all these things for all these people all the time. And after a while, I mean, you can only run so so far, so fast with a sprained ankle and with an Achilles heel. And I had to slowly just say, this 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 has gotten to be crazy. Because yeah. the more you try to save others, the more you're kind of losing yourself in the process. And that's kind of hard because I looked at myself saying, you know, I'm blessed. You know, and a lot of people are not blessed or traumatized by things. I'm trying to help them out. And then you get people that just cling to you like, Dave, I've been speaking to you for eight hours. And I just need 20 more hours so you can help me. I'm going, dude, you know, please, I just need five minutes of sleep. So it is yeah. kind of, it's like you're a parent or like you're anything in life. It's very difficult to have that balance, that, that teeter-totter effect. And that's what mm-hmm. we kind of described in that, uh, the latest book, uh, Too Close to Me. You know, what, what is the consequences of coming out of the closet and trying to address a situation that a lot of people are still in denial about? And it's not the most easiest thing to talk about, per se, abuse or surviving abuse or trauma. And at the same time, trying to be dedicated to help people out with sincerity of heart. And other people uh, sometimes will say bad things about you. And every day, you've got to keep going on fighting a good fight. Mm-hmm. And that's an important lesson that you mentioned in there, that at some point, you have to draw a line. You have to make a boundary. You have I, to take I, care I'll, of yourself. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I, I'll never forget, and I, and I was actually talking about him the other day. You know, I really miss Robin Williams because oh. he was so pure of heart. He would never say no to anybody or any request. He has visited every military base on this planet, no matter how big, how small, wherever they're at. And I remember one interview, they said, oh, Mr. Williams, can you do this? All right, I'll do this. Now, can you do this, 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 and this? All right, I'll do this, this, and this. And can you do this, this, and this? And he finally said, sir, I would love to spend 20 years with you helping you out. But you know what? I got to say no sometime. 
Oh, Mr. Williams, now we hate you. And you've done all this stuff. For, now we hate you. And it's so sad that some people give it themselves and to see them slowly deteriorate. So what I had to do, I was in a situation, I came back from Iraq, and, and for the first time in my life, I didn't work out. I just slept. I tried to take care of myself, and I had to analyze myself. Oh, my God, medically, you're a mess. Emotionally, you're a mess. You're, you know, you're starting to disconnect. You know, you're going through a divorce. You've got to start doing something for you. And I, that's hard for people who really have a good heart and they want to give. And I'm thinking, boy, I'm, I've been sleeping for eight hours. I could have helped out ten people. But, you know, if you don't take care of yourself first, then you're slowly gone. And to me, you know, that, that would not be good because then I can't see my son and his kids when they play baseball. So it's really hard to find that balance. And that mm-hmm. was hard. It's, you know, it's, it still is kind of hard because now I have mm-hmm. boundaries. And I never had boundaries before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like uh, when you were younger, your maybe your first two priorities were your son and the good work you could do. And your wife came in at best third, and so eventually you got divorced. It's not too surprising. Is that about right? Yeah, and part of it, too, was when I was in the military, you know, you're gone an awful yeah. lot. And, and, and people, you know, they grow in different directions and so forth. And, you know, there, there's, there's an old saying, when you're on the job, things are great. But when you come home, that's when you really have to work it. You mm-hmm. know, so there, there's a lot of truth to that. And, and, and Stephen's mom and I, to this day, are very, very, very close. We're very good friends. Excellent. Okay. So um, at some point, you took up writing. How did that get started? Well, it was a, it was, it's, it's, it's really a, an odd, crazy story because I didn't speak as a child. Uh, I would always, when we, in the back of the room, if there was a question, I would try to answer it and raise my hand. And one time it took me like eight minutes to stutter two words. So this teacher says, David, God bless you, just write the answer. Write the answer, son. And I think I turned in 18 pages. You know, that was my form of communication. And I'll never forget Mrs. Woodworth, who I'm still close to to this day. Uh, I, I turned in a book report because I would read books in the bottom of the basement, you know, Stephen's uh, uh, you know, pirate books and, and, and so forth, or, 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 or uh, call, call into the wild. I read these adventure books, and I did a book report, and my teacher said one time, David, you're going to be a writer. You don't speak very well, but you're going to write. You've got the gift, because I studied. And what happened with the first book, A Child Called It, all it was was a thank you letter to my teachers. You know, I gave myself 10, 20 years to get my act together, you know, I had Stephen. I was blessed to have Stephen. I had a career in the Air Force. My God, James Bond, Air Force flying. And I just wanted to write a thank you letter to my teachers. And that it slowly became uh, the, the small book of A Child Called It. And it was the printed version was given to my teachers the exact date of my rescue, 20 years to the day. And they got wow. the first copies of the book. And I was very, very proud to give them that. And then two years later... The book was published, and then two years after that is when the commercial success of a child called it broke loose. And, and I don't know how much you know about writing, but when you're published, you've got two or three weeks to make it or break it, and that's it. So the book was always behind the times, and some people said, oh, this is a book about child abuse. I'm going, no, you're looking at it the wrong way. It's a book about resilience, you know, because publishers didn't want anything to do with the book. They thought it was too graphically, violently pornographic in a sense. And to me, it was always a story about this little kid's got problems, but this little kid doesn't quit. Mm-hmm. And you sure didn't. 
Well, yeah, and, and again, there's luck. I mean, publishing is like American Idol. There's millions and millions to one. And, and, and if you're on the New York Times for two to three weeks, you're the champ. And that first book was on there for over six years. The best thing I can say about that book is the second most read book just right behind A Kill a Mockingbird. Wow. Wow. So clearly it, it resonated with a huge audience. It, amazingly huge. I, yeah. I, I, it's, it's, I mean, I've been overseas, and, and, and whenever I go overseas, I always do volunteer work rather than do the book tour thing and doing stuff. And I remember I was in Tokyo, and I was being shot by the gentleman who was considered the Annie Lenovitz uh, photographers in Japan. And, and, and I saw myself on a billboard, and, uh, and I, I said the word Ichiban, which means number one. And the guy says, no, 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 look at that. And he translated, you on a bus, because if you're on a bus in Tokyo, you've made it. For goodness sakes, <laughs> you know, and, and they got the message, you know, they, 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 they got that, that little, you know, David and Goliath message. And they got that message about, okay, we all got a situation, we all got a problem. And sometimes, you know, you got to go through the mud of life. Yeah. But, you know, if you can go through that, then, you know, Ichiban, number one, you know, you try to attempt. And to me, that's, that's all I've ever done because I know as much as I study, I should be smarter as, as, as my, my world experience, I should know not to sign good or bad contracts or associate myself with people that I know are kind of, uh, you know, uh, sketchy. But, you know, it's, you, just, you just try to do the best what you can and learn from the process and hopefully not repeat your mistakes and then, you know, just write it off and be happy. A lot of yeah. people, like when they gamble, they, they lose and lose and lose. So they double down and double down and double down. They keep losing. I'm going, okay, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing, expecting a different result. But sometimes when you gamble, or in life, or in luck, or in love, or with a career, you've got to push yourself away from the table and say, you know what, I'm calling it a day. I've got to learn from this and regroup and call it a day. And that's mm-hmm. the one thing I've been able, to, you know, been, you know, able to, uh, to learn after all these years. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've lost a great deal of time, energy, and love, and finances. But at the end of the day, you know what, I'm still here. I'm still trying. Mm-hmm. I think I can safely guess that writing that first book was probably difficult. Was it cathartic? Well, like I said before, you can't really fly in the armed forces if you've got all these issues, you know, because they do screen you pretty well. And so when that, I write, you know, I write almost like in third person. I said, what's the character thinking about? What is the motivation of the character? It's like I'm this director directing this, this one, one-man show. Because if you look at a child, call it carefully, there's not one word over three syllables. It's very graphic, and it's very fast-paced. Why? Because that's how eight-year-old boys think. It's almost like when you're in this movie. I saw a movie called The Dark Knight, the second part of the trilogy to the Batman series. A person mm-hmm. beside me is going, oh, my God, this is the greatest action film I've ever seen. I'm clutching the chair. I'm going, oh, my God, you stupid idiot. This is a psychological thriller, and I am scared to death. You see, the front part looks like action, but in the meat of the story, you see, to me, the meat of the child called it was that boy's resilience. And I mm-hmm. think that's why it resonated at such a level with kids. And, you know, from age 7 to 80 females or age 12 to 65 for males, I mean, it was, it was the weirdest thing. And it, it was all it was meant to be was simply a thank you letter to my teachers. Mm-hmm. So, again, the luck. What did your relatives say about the book? Well, my grandmother on my mother's side, I mean, she's been interviewed where she was. I mean, she's no longer with us. You know, and, and, and I remember when I gave the book to my brothers, 
and I signed them, the books. And their match was, well, I'm not saying it happened, I'm not saying it did, as long as your work doesn't affect us, because, I mean, they kind of splintered out. I said, well, I'm a counselor in juvenile hall. I'm doing this and doing this and doing this. Well, we don't care what you do as long as it doesn't affect us. And I respected that. That's why their names were changed. But then again, too, it's like one of my brothers was in law enforcement, and, and he pulled over this guy. And, and this guy's like, oh, my God, are you related to that guy who wrote that book? And my brother, who's very disconnected, he said, you know what? I, I've never felt more ashamed in my life. I'm going, really? You're ashamed? Because I can understand it, because I came out of the closet, because I'm trying to help other kids so they don't get beaten up like we did? Or are you ashamed because maybe the book, you know, something, I don't know. But everybody reacts to it uh, a little bit differently, in a sense. We're not the Brady Bunch. And mm-hmm. uh, my grandmother was very, very upset because she, she, even though she had read the book when it was printed, when it, when it became like a bestseller, she wouldn't tell anybody she was related to my mom. But, but she was, just, I think, in, infuriated because I, you know, broke the code. I broke the secret. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter to anybody that I had these awards years before the book was a success. It didn't matter about the outstanding young person of America or the person of the world. It didn't matter. I was California Volunteer of the Year when I was active duty in the Armed Forces. All that mattered was I was associated with a story that had commercial success, and somehow that embarrassed some of my family. Yeah. And that's sad. I mean, I was at the point, I'll be very <laughs> lovely about this. Years ago, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to upset you. I'm sorry that I'm working and volunteering and raising funds. I'm sorry I'm helping to chase down bad guys. I'm sorry I'm helping these kids. I'm sorry that affects you. I'm at the point, you know what? Get out. I'm really yeah, you have to something more and important I'm trying to make to a do. difference. <laughs> yeah, you have something more important to do than worry about how your relatives feel you, about you, the book. You can't. You can't. And that's yeah. one thing I had to learn, Doc, and this is so important. I had to quit chasing other people's approval, and I had to quit being that a pleaseaholic. Because I'll say this with my mm-hmm. hand on the Bible. I know my faults. I know my issues. I know I'm a sinner, and I know I've done a lot of bad things, but I've always had a good heart to help out others because I know what it's like to be less than zero. Okay. Um, we're going to take another break. I will be back in a couple of minutes to talk more with Dave Pelzer about resiliency in the face of adversity. And if you want to learn more, you can go online to davepelzer.com. But stay with us. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. 
Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin, talking today with Dave Pelzer, who has written eight inspirational books. You can find all of them online at davepelzer.com, and Pelzer is P-E-L-Z-E-R, davepelzer.com. So the first book was A Child Called It. The most recent book is Too Close to Me, and in between there are six more. Um, your relatives were not happy about the first book. They didn't want to go back and think about that part of life. What about strangers? In their defense, I mean, because I, I, I still get every once in a while, like, Dave, why didn't your brother step in and save you? I'm going, really? They were five. They were six. Think about it. And mm-hmm. the fact that they were brainwashed, mm-hmm. and then as they realized, oh, my God, Mom is trying to kill our sibling, and we haven't stepped in. And at the same time, too, there was a little bit of jealous or rage. Like, how come David was taken away from the home and we had to stay here for a few more years and endure this craziness? So usually in cases of child abuse, particularly when sex abuse, the siblings either splinter or they're so close. They'll live within like a, less than a block of each other, and they're very protective of their families and their kids and everything. It's like their own unit within a unit. So this is kind of normal in a sense, which is unusual, mm-hmm. though, is the fact you have one sibling that was horribly abused, and yet that, that sibling became a per se public figure and had a few awards or had that commercial success. And yet I've seen it particularly with celebrities where the siblings try to become actors or singers and one makes it and one doesn't, and there's a little bit of a, you know, unsettlement involved. And I, I think it's sad because my fantasy was once mom passes away, we'll be close and that didn't happen. Well, once my grandmother passes away, we'll be close, and that didn't happen. So I finally, Doc, had to come to that bridge of acceptance, saying, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. And when my brother told me, he was so embarrassed about me. I couldn't believe I said this. I said, you know what, sir, I could have been a terrorist. I could have been a rapist. I could be in jail. I can be like a real bad guy, so I'm sorry that I have embarrassed you. And I wasn't trying to be snarky, but for one of the first times in my life, I had to stand up for myself. Mm -hmm. And that's really kind of hard because I don't want to offend anybody. But in this business, that's a ball, that's a strike. And that's hard for me to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
So it was clearly hard for your family to have you become a public figure who told these things about what your experience had been, but the book resonated with a huge number of people. Stayed, your books combined have been on bestseller lists for more than 13 years. Yeah, and um, the fact that it was number one overseas and uh, dozens upon dozens of, of, of you know, cultures and languages, and, and it's weird because I know this sounds weird. I'd rather be remembered as you know, the father to a nice police officer or, you know, the awards that I've been given in a sense. Or I just got this award uh, last month, which is really weird. I got the Firefighter of the Year Award less than two years of becoming a volunteer firefighter. I got the Firefighter of the Year Award, and it's amazing because my father was a firefighter. He tried to save kids from burning buildings, but he couldn't save me or didn't save me. And yet, as I'm doing the back nine of my evolution of life, I've slowed down, and I became a firefighter, and I'm so proud to have that connection for my son and even my lost father, in a sense. So it's, it's mm-hmm. weird how people remember you, but I can't really, you know, I, I know in my heart what is true, Doc, and I mm-hmm. know my purpose in life. And maybe mm-hmm. I didn't want to be the child abuse guy. I just wanted to, be, you know, live my own life, in a sense, and be quietly, and if I can help out, great, no big deal, let's move it along. But we all come to a point that we're given a mission, whether we're a parent, or whatever careers we have, and just make the most of it. I mean, the best of it. Because I've isolated myself from, when we were on, uh, the book was on the New York Times for over 200 weeks. Let's think about that. 200 weeks before it made number one. I'll never forget, I got the call, I hung it up, and just went back to work. I didn't celebrate it. I'm sure I thanked God. But because I was so disconnected on helping other people uh, out and trying to please them, I didn't allow a lot of joy in my life. Hence being disconnected, hence being a little, you know, withdrawn. And now I'm at the mm-hmm. point now, you know, I'm just going to say, this is who I am, this is what I do, and God bless. And do you let joy into your life now? All the time. I mean, I always have in my little ways, but now that I've slowed down, you know, like I said before, I can come home. My, my worst day, Doc, is I come home battered and bloodied, physically, physically battered and bloodied. I take off my bunker gear, I wash myself off, I wash my clothes, I get my gear back together, and I go outside and I pray. I I have a cigar. I have a cup of coffee. And that's my worst day. So to me, every day is a blessing. Because sometimes when I go on call as a firefighter, I see people I know they're not going to make it. And the Mm -hmm. one thing I'm proud to do is I always make physical contact with them. I touch them on the shoulder. Or sometimes I touch them with my thumb on their forehead and I give them a quick blessing and I say, you know, God be with you. And, you know, just, you know, let's, let's see what happens. You know, because life mm-hmm. is so short. And that's why I'm mm-hmm. so appreciative of the life I had. Because I remember when I was in foster care at age 14, I was interviewed by the county psychiatrist. And he turned to my foster mom and my social worker and stated, I mean, to no surprise, this kid's going to be dead or in jail by age 18. There is no chance for this kid. He cannot walk or talk. He can't tie his shoes. He's socially inept. He's got all these issues against him. There's no way he's going to make it. And again, the mantra, if I can survive what I did, I'm going to try. So now I'm taking a little bit more time off, you know, to, to, to be, live a happier life. Yeah. I'm glad. And well, are you and, married now? I'm glad, now? too, because, you know, I, 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 I'm one of those people that I know I have a good message and I know it resonates and all these things. On the other side, too, maybe I've passed that baton or maybe my higher power is saying, David, you've pitched a lot of innings. Sit down, relax. And sometimes it's hard for people like me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a real change. Yeah. And so, that's um, what I'm doing now. I've, I've, I've moved to a place that's a little bit more isolated. 
I used to do mm-hmm. radio once a week. Now I'm only doing it once a month. You know, I'm with mm-hmm. the fire department now. And even like with book eight, people said, oh, and they love the book and all that stuff. And they say, when's book nine? It's like the James Bond series. What's the next story? I'm going, I don't know. And you don't even thing. have to write another one. You could stop if you feel like it. I know, because the thing is, Doc, I'll tell you the truth, I loathe writing. I, I am not really? a good writer. It takes me eight hours for one paragraph. It's like crawling on glass. The oh book gosh. that you have uh, too close to me, that was an eight-year project from start to finish. Eight years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, know, I, was I was thinking this lot, is cathartic. It's got to be flowing out of you onto the page. And I guess I was wrong. You know, and people think, oh, Dave, you write okay. It must be easy. I'm going, shut up. You have no idea. So I'd rather just do comedy or do radio and just ramble for a while than write. But the bottom line is, and I'm trying to convey this as a message to your listeners, everybody goes through something and it's only for the now. Mm-hmm. You might be having a bad day today, but that's not tomorrow. We all evolve or should evolve in different stages of our life. You know, we can't run five-minute miles at age 40 or 55. We can't do things that we used to do, so we have to come to that acceptance and make the most of our time. Because here's a question I'll poise to your audience, Doc. How many more summers do you have left? And shouldn't you enjoy that summer, that winter, that Christmas, those holidays, your family and your friends? I think yes, but you've got to make the most of your time. Mm-hmm. Now, for a long time, you were available as a keynote speaker on the subject of resilience. Do you still do that circuit? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just I'm more, you know, rather than doing like five appearances a day, I used to do two six-hour presentations on psychology, resilience, and abuse for people for CEUs and then do something between that. I don't do that anymore. I'm a little bit more selective, like, okay, rather than doing like five things in one day, we'll do like two things in a week or every other day or something. And I'm I'm glad to do that because I throw in a lot of comedy and make it different. I'm not dry and I'm definitely not boring. Definitely not boring. Definitely not boring. As as they said, the Robin Williams with glasses. Mm At one point, I read that your book really addressed how trauma can affect people mentally and physically and also spiritually. It can affect your well-being in many realms. Would you like to say anything more about that? Well, you know, we've kind of hit that over and over and over, and I'll just use this word. Don't let your past cripple you. Don't be so ensconced in fear. You know, it's like I tell people, give yourself permission to have the courage to go through the pain, to go through the embarrassment, to go through the anxiety, vomit it out, poop it out, purge it out, and at the end of the day, look at where you're at. Where you're, at. you're not that same person you were 5, 10, 15 years ago. Hopefully you involved to be happy. And I'll say this too, Doc, there's no simpleton answers. Everybody wants that simple, simple, simple answer. I'm going, no, it's just life. There's no, no such thing called a normal life. There's just life. What works for me may not work for this person, but it's like a, uh, it's like a golf lesson. I'm going to give you a thousand different ways how to hit that ball, and you have to find your own swing. Mm -hmm. Is there any message in particular that you would like to give if if we have children listening who are being abused? Is there any message you have for them? Well, that's obvious. I mean, you got to speak up and get some help, you know, and you got to trust someone that that they help you out, whether it be that teacher, a police officer, a relative, a family, a friend. And you don't deserve to be treated this way. And you don't deserve, no one deserves that. And this is something else, too. You, it's so difficult for children, particularly young children, to look up at their parents. 
those non-human entities, those godlike figures. And some people make mistakes. Hopefully it's a mistake. Hopefully we can work through this. But I will also say this too. Hurt people hurt people. So you've got to give yourself permission. You know, maybe there's something going on, maybe not, but let's talk about it. Let, let's put it on the table and see what we can do. But that's no way to live, and no one deserves to be treated in such a way. No one. Okay. So you should um, look for what you can do to make your situation better, and one of the big things you can do is get an, get help from, from exactly. an adult. Exactly. Talk about let's Let's put it on the yeah. table, definitely. Get the help yeah. that you need, for goodness sakes. And understand, too, as you're going through the process, this doesn't have to cripple you for life, whether it be a divorce or if you're being violated as a kid or the trust issues. It doesn't have to violate you for life. We all deserve to be happy. We all deserve to be treated with a certain amount of dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. If we could rewind to the point before you wrote the first book that ultimately, well, was part of helping you become such a publicly known figure. If we rewound, would you want to do it the same way all over again, all these books? No, of course not. You know, I've learned so much about myself and, and how much I've taken heat or even about the publishing business. Oh, my gosh. I probably signed the worst publishing contract in the history of this planet. And to me, it's not about that, but the fact that I allowed myself to be violated. I knew I was being violated, and I allowed it to happen, hoping I can work it out, hoping I can prove myself, hoping they'll see my worth. If I can change that, I would. But at the mm. same time, too, you know, we all learn from our mistakes, and I probably wouldn't change too much because it's made me a better person. And it allows me to kind of explore myself in a different area and say, you know what, I'm going to do this this way, but not that way. You always learn from your mistakes. But okay. also, I, I'm proud that uh, I saw my teacher, Miss Woodworth. She's in a retirement home now. Doesn't have a lot of furniture. And uh, she used to teach writing. And she was the one who told me I'm going to be a writer. She doesn't have a lot of her books with her. She has three books or four books in her uh, little apartment, and four of them are mine. And that just makes me so, so, so proud that, that some people have taken the book to their heart and hopefully it's changed their life or, mm-hmm. you know, they look at things differently. I mean, you see that movie mm-hmm. Saving Private Ryan, and you walk out of that theater going, oh, my gosh, life has to be different. Same thing for a child called it. Mm-hmm. Life has to be different. All right. I'm going to have to bring our discussion to a close. I want to say thank you very much, Dave Peltzer, and remind people they can find you and your books online at davepeltzer.com. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.